We are in part two of our Learning to Worship series. As I mentioned to you, we have two concurrent series going throughout this year. There is Life of Worship through the book of First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles. And then there is Learning to Worship. That is the last full weekend of every month when we have a guest worship team come in and lead us and train us. And we will also examine through the Psalms how we ought to worship God appropriately. So we are in part two of that series as we're in the second month of this year. And I entitled this morning's message, Famous. And I want to start with a few thoughts. Um, the word famous, and for me being an intellectual learner or an analytical guy, I had to go back and look at what it means. And famous means in the dictionary, widely known and honored for achievement. These are indeed the very same things we're trying to lift up for God. Do we want to make Him widely known? The answer to that is yes, we do. Should He be honored for the achievements that He has done in our world? The answer to that is yes. As a matter of fact, not only are we making Him famous by talking about Him and sharing Him with others and writing songs about Him and using our gifts to bless Him and speak of His name, but perhaps we might need to kick it up one more level. An even higher version of famous is renown. The word renown in the dictionary means widely acclaimed and highly honored. These are things we want for God. But make no mistake, it is not we who are making God great. God has made Him great. We make Him known. Does that make sense? He has made His name great. You do not need to run PR for God or apologize for God. You do not need to run around and think up new ways to try to make God sound cool. That is not your job. Your job is to reveal Him as He has revealed Himself. He has already done the saving. He has already done the rescuing. He has already been the Almighty. We don't need to make up new things about Him. We need to reveal Him as He is. Many of us don't realize that worship outflows from revelation. Revelation means something has been revealed to you. When you get new information, it is supposed to respond in worship. It's the same idea that if I tell you something amazing, you say, Oh, right? I told you the idea of the loss of Tim's son. There was an immediate reaction to that revelation. You felt something deep down inside for a man that we care about. In the same way, last night I was thrown off a little bit when towards the end of my message after I began, you know, yelling at everybody and telling them, do not remain silent. Well, someone in the congregation took that at face value and shared something towards the end of my message. A gentleman was sitting about four rows back on the end, an older gentleman that never, and you know that nobody just goes off and says something in the middle of our service. That never happens. I'm getting towards the end of my message, and out of nowhere, he says, God healed me from lung cancer. Well, obviously, I wasn't ready for that. So I, I said, I go, what's that? And he said, God healed me from lung cancer. And I said, when did you find that out? He said, a couple days ago. I said, Tell me about it. He said, both lungs, I had cancer, and it's gone. And everybody erupted in applause for the Lord. That is a spontaneous worship. Do we get that? 
very, it, it was not forced. It was not awkward. It was very natural. He revealed how great God is, and we all went with it. That is a part of worship. So if you are having a hard time worshiping, maybe you don't know what you need to know. Maybe you have not walked with God the way you need to walk with God. Because when you are around such a great and awesome Lord, it's really hard to remain silent. It's just a natural thing. If you've ever picked up a new hobby, you know that you start telling everyone even to the point of irritation, right? Everyone else is like, I don't care about your hobby. I don't, I'm not interested in what you're interested in. And you can't stop talking about it. It's like a new relationship. Where is that first love for the Lord where you can't stop talking about him, even when you've slightly crossed into the awkward? You know what I mean? The reason why we do this is to bring glory to God's name. In the book of John, Jesus is praying back and forth to the Father. And He says, I want them to be able to see my glory so I can glorify you. And they keep spinning these phrases of glory. Listen, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is simply this. Our task is to tell the world how great God really is. Our task this year and forever after is to tell the world because they don't know. In their mind, God is something totally different. In their world, God is the institution of religion that has harmed people. God is the one that has shamed them. God is the one that makes them hide or puts laws in their face so they cannot be free. They do not know the God you know. So tell them. It is our job, our task, to tell the world how great God really is. Turn with me to Psalm 96. It's page 426 in the Bible is handed out. 426 Psalm 96 We do not know who wrote this for sure for a couple intriguing reasons um, We have two main time frames as to when it could have been written and yet they don't line up Here's why This psalm is included in 1st Chronicles 16 1 Chronicles 16 tells the story, a famous story, a famous worship story that most of you would know because it was a time when the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was brought to Jerusalem and David danced before the Lord. Do we all know that story? All right. As David danced before the Lord and brought the Ark in, once they had the Ark situated in the tabernacle in Jerusalem, David said, I wrote a song for this occasion. He then has a really long song. This psalm is quoted and then commented and added to. You say, all right, well, then David wrote it. Okay, fantastic. Here's the problem. There's a whole bunch of quotations from the Old Testament, 25 to be exact. And as a matter of fact, it quotes Isaiah 66. Why is that intriguing? Because that was hundreds of years later. So how exactly did David quote Isaiah, who was way after him? Isaiah actually wrote this and they utilized this psalm after they returned from exile in around 500 BC. That's far later. 
So what do we do with all this? Who wrote it? Because all the language seems to be from the later exile period, yet David quoted it earlier. Here's the answer, in my opinion. I believe that David wrote a song for God. And just like nobody owns any of God's songs, they're just downloaded from heaven. Maybe you heard that from somewhere. In the same way, they captured it and began to use it for special occasions, adding to it, putting commentary to it, adjusting it, making it modern. And they worked with it and worked with it, worked with it. And over hundreds of years, it began to alter and change, still glorifying God. Let's just read through it this morning and we'll just pray for the word and see what God has for us. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His truth. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, be glorified in our midst. Reveal Yourself to us that we might lift up Your name. We have already had Your nation speak in our midst and they have brought You praise. May our hearts resound with the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things we got ripped off by in our translation of the Bible is that the Hebrew has the word O oh at the beginning. O oh, sing to the Lord. Now the Hebrews would place O oh in front of there when they would say, it is too marvelous for us, too beautiful, too big for us to comprehend. What he is about to reveal, and I put this into the category of instructional praise. He's going to teach us how to praise the Lord. So we can learn from this because he knows a lot about the heart of God. He was a skilled and anointed musician and writer. And so as we follow and track with him, let us learn. Let us go, you know what? I don't do it like that. Maybe I should do it more like that. That's the idea of learning to worship. Oh, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. I will spend this year consistently trying to chase down the idea of why God wants us to sing to Him. I did some examination of music and the history of music and music in the Bible and music in the Old Testament and New Testament, and I still don't know why God wants us to sing. I don't get it. 
So I'm going to continue throughout this year to chase down this idea. But it, it doesn't matter whether or not we know why. We know that he says, sing to me. I was thinking as I was sitting in the back and Pastor Paul and his family was singing. And I was thinking, you know how sad it would be in my household if in my two girls, I have the older one, Jillian, and the younger one, Andy. What if Andy only tried to sing her songs just like her sister? What if she changed her cadence to only sing like her big sister? Wouldn't that be awkward? Because Andy has her own distinct voice. As a matter of fact, she's a great singer. She loves to sing. She runs around and sings all kinds of stuff, right? Sometimes stuff she probably shouldn't be singing. And this little one, if she just tried to copy her sister because that was the right way to sing it, I'd be heartbroken as a dad. Because I don't want her to sing like her sister. I want her to sing like her. Because that's special to me. My girls are different. They don't need to be the same. Sing to the Lord a new song. Is there anything that God has done in your life that you've recognized recently? then a new song wells up in your heart, yeah? Isn't that how it goes? If God is doing new things in your life, then you always have something new to chew on, to think about, to promote, to say. Maybe it was just this week that you began to realize how patient God is with you. Now, He's always been patient with you, but you weren't paying attention. Now, all of a sudden, you get it and you go, wow, I'm kind of a brat. I had no idea how messed up I really was. And now, the more and more God waits with me and walks with me, I'm now realizing He is patient. Oh God, you are so gloriously patient for me. That's a new song. Song doesn't always mean sung to a 4 4 rhythm. It's not what it means. Why? Because you're about to hear that all of creation sings a song to God, and they don't sing like we sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That means all of creation is under the mandate to praise God, whether they will recognize Him or not. Just because they do not believe in God does not remove them or excuse them from the obligation and command to bring glory to their Creator. They will be held accountable just as we are. Sing to the Lord all the earth. <clears throat> Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. Proclaim His salvation. What has God saved you from? Has God saved you from drugs and alcohol? Has God saved you from an abusive relationship? Has God saved you from making horrible mistakes that you made in the past? Has God saved you from arrogance, greed? What has God saved you from? Because if He has saved you from anything, maybe He even literally saved your life from a car accident. If God has saved you from anything, proclaim it. Say it. Talk about it. Don't leave it hidden. Do not allow your testimony to remain your own private information. It's not private information. God did it in you to display it to the world. It is our job. It is our mandate to tell the story 
of what God is doing day after day. Whatever you do, do not remain silent because we are here to glorify our God. You know your story. Tell it. Tell it to someone. Tell it to everyone. You know, I went through and I was kind of examining and I was saying, how in the world did we get to this place where we're singing as a church? So I went through and did a small examination. Here's what I found. I found that really, music is all throughout the Old Testament. Music as something important to God, as an art form, as a task, as a job, is mentioned in the fourth chapter of the whole Bible. Genesis chapter 4, it says, and there was a man by the name of Jubal, right? Jubal was the father of all musicians. And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe that was just his hobby. No, right next to it is his brother, the father of all herdsmen, his other brother, the father of all that would work and shape things like smithing, blacksmithing, ironworking, all that idea. They didn't have certain metals at that time, but they were the ones that shaped and organized utensils, tools, weaponry. Just as important as those two things are, so was music from the very beginning. And we track through and realize that God bred into the Jewish people musicality. As a matter of fact, when Babylon was taking exiles in and they were grabbing and grabbing captives, they would grab Jews for the sheer reason of their musicianship and their singing ability. In their festivals, there was song, there was dance. Women were extraordinarily valuable in the early days of music instruments and lending their voices and doing all the types of things that we know about folk worship. But as all things tend to do, as I look through the history of music, we always tend towards one idea, which is take it away from the people. Along throughout there, we eventually got the temple. The temple instituted the Levites to run it, as God said. They then formalized music. So much so that it was taken out of the people's hands. And the only time the people ever got to sing was in a call and response. It was so highly professionalized is that the Levites would be trained up, certain families of Levites would be trained up from birth to know how to do worship appropriately. They then, at the age of 25, the males would enter into a discipleship, an apprenticeship to learn how to do it right. At the age of 30, they were allowed to enter into the choir. They would serve for 20 years. All of it was memorized, all the complex rhythms, all the words. Everything was committed to memory because nothing was written down. And they would practice every day of their lives. When you have professional musicians like that, it began to pull it away from the people as I went through the history of how music kind of moved through the ages and how the Reformation did this and in the Middle Ages it did this, as the Catholic Church got more and more this way, it would continue to formalize the music and pull it away from the people. But periodically, God would blow the whole thing up and hand it back to the grassroots movement and say, I just want my people to sing.
Verse 3. Declare God's glory. Declare His glory. What is glory? It's His intrinsic worth. It's His value. Declare what makes Him so amazing. Declare His glory among the nations. Declare His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Do you understand that the idea of Micronesians, Polynesians, Islanders leading us in worship was an absolute impossibility when that was written? Do you understand that? Because in the Old Testament, this, God laid out a story. The story was, the whole earth will bring me glory. But how in the world was that going to happen when you couldn't even travel very far? Most people would never leave further than maybe 30 miles around them. Nobody moved anywhere like that. There had to be huge migration things. They didn't know how all that was going to work out. As a matter of fact, it seemed impossible. You zoom forward all the way up to the time of Jesus. Jesus gives his disciples the command, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? The outermost parts of the earth. How in the world are they going to do that? There's only 120 of them. You can't reach all the nations of the world with 120 people. Unless what? God takes regular, average people to sing His praise. And now we take it for granted that we would have an Islander team come to us and teach us the heart of God. How is that even possible? How do we declare somebody did this right? A whole lot of somebody's did this right. That's why today happened. Because of the power of God. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are worthless. He says. But the Lord made the heavens. Let me make a comment at this point. I believe that this passage is more than what we think of as just worship. Not just the idea of, hey, I want to sing a song for God. I think this is a passage about missions. Why so? Because missions are about the glory of God. In what way? Because of this. The only lasting, enduring reason to do missions work around the world is what? The glory of God. It's the only enduring reason. You say, well, that's not the reason I went on the mission. Then you went for the wrong reasons. Did you go how I tend to get motivated? I get motivated by need. I get motivated by people being hurt. That is usually my motivation. Is I go, I'll go. If I can go hug on somebody or love on somebody or defend somebody, then I'll go. That is not an appropriate reason for missions. Why? Because eventually it fades. Your heart will grow hard. You'll see too much pain. And you'll eventually give up in light of how great the need is. You say, well, I'm not there to protect or help. I'm there to spread the gospel. Really? And that's your enduring reason is to get people saved. That's not the reason either. 
say, what do you mean? What are you talking about? That's that's the whole reason. No, because you'll stop as soon as you don't see enough people get saved. The only enduring reason is to bring glory to God, to implant in all societies everywhere the seeds of worship to God. What that does is it frees you up to understand that whether you are giving someone soup and you are coming to them in their time of need and they recognize you as a Christian and that you're doing it on the sake of, for the sake of Jesus Christ, praise will erupt even from a pagan. It is also the reason that when you share the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes in and turns the light on, worship erupts. Our job to go out into the world with all the mission trips that we're going to do is to bring and establish places of glory to God in their own way. You go, what do you mean? Well, I just told you, we do not want copycats. We know that God has built in a flavor to all peoples. Our job is to go into the local peoples and ignite them and draw them close to Jesus Christ so they catch on fire for Him and in their own flavor begin to worship and praise Him. That's what missions are about. God displays His glory to the nations that they might rise up in glory in those nations. God can only be loved when He's known. Make Him known. Verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Those are the two greatest descriptions of a king. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. What does ascribe mean? It means give credit for. Give Him the proper credit. He's done it. Give Him the credit. Ascribe. Give God credit. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do His name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Say, well, what what does that mean? Are Are we talking about money again? No. But you better bring something. You know, I'm always stunned and slightly embarrassed when a culture comes in and brings gifts. There's a number of friends I have in different cultures and they'll come into my home and they'll bring a gift. I'm always slightly embarrassed because I never grew up that way. I've, I've never had anything like that. And I always kind of go, oh, wait, the way I do it in my culture is usually it's Christmas and I'm supposed to give you one too, right? I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. But some cultures breed in this concept that you bring an offering of honor and that you saw before you this morning. You bring something to the Lord as a sacrifice. But then did you see the last part of that phrase? And then come into what? His courts. The part that you might have missed is the corporate part of it. In the courts are all the rest of His people. Worshiping by yourself is precious to God. But it cannot and will not replace Group worship. 
You understand what I mean? You go, well, why is that? Why do we need to sing together? Why do we need to all come together? I'm not a singer. I mean, that just seems lame. I'm, I'm horrible at it. And I don't want to open my mouth and sing with my voice and with all these people. A couple reasons. Number one, yes, indeed, by yourself, you are lame. <laughs> I will acknowledge that right now. I was singing in the back one of the worship songs that we were being led in, and my voice totally cracked. It was one of those, hey, at the end of it. It was super embarrassing. And I was like, oh, you know. You know, I'm going to do my own thing, right? <laughs> because individually, no. Collectively, amazing. You'll notice that um, in our normal services, there's a microphone here and a microphone over here, and they're facing outward. Have you noticed that? Why are those here? To hear you sing. To backflow it into the speakers so you can hear what we hear up here. That was Brian's idea. Because he wanted to hear the praises of his people. I remember, and I'll never forget, I don't think personally that in general guys sing well. Okay? Guys shout pretty good. Uh, you can hear some warrior cries, and they're pretty sweet. But in general, a lot of men don't sing awesome. Usually it's the ladies that sing beautiful. And I'll never forget, I think it was around uh, 98, I went to a Promise Keepers conference. It was right when it was all big and a big deal and everything. It was in Oakland Coliseum. And they started the men singing, and there were no women in the whole stadium and I was like, uh-oh, here we go. And I was like a bunch of lousy singers. And they began to sing worship songs, and they cut the music out and let the voices of 55,000 men rise up. It was absolutely crazy chills kind of thing. Individually, no. Collectively, yes. I think it's important that we sing together. The other reason of why we need to say something or sing something is because it makes it more real. If you are sitting in front of a beautiful sunset and someone is sitting next to you, you're probably going to comment on it. Why? Because it enhances the experience. You're going to say, wow, look at that. That's beautiful, huh? And when the other person agrees with you, the experience is real. In the same way, Together in church, we sing and we go, God is good, huh? And you look over at somebody else, yep. And it matters. Worship, reverence, adoration. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad and let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in truth. Two things we need to know as we close out. Number one. Jesus is returning as the great judge, and that is not a bad thing. So many of us in our weakness and wickedness, 
We hate the idea of a coming judge because every time we hear the word judge, we think we're in trouble, right? The great judge, why do I want the great judge to come? He's going to condemn me. But the Bible lays it out. It says if Jesus, the one that died for you, and he's on your side, and yet he's also the judge that's arriving, then what are you worried about? No, you should be glad he's coming. You should say, come, Lord, come, because things aren't right right now. We need you to make it right. The other thing I saw in that passage is how amazing creation is at bringing praise and glory to God. They didn't even have to be trained. They just do what's natural to them. Trees clap their hands in their beauty and their produce. The waterfall is stunning as it falls. The clouds are beautiful as they move across the sky because they're doing what they were created to do. You were created to worship. Why would we do anything else? We're going to close in a word of prayer. And I just ask that maybe this week we would ask ourselves, am I proclaiming the glory of the Lord in my sphere of influence? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. We praise You and glorify You and ask, Lord, that You would utilize us in bringing You worship. Lord, that we would employ all of our gifts and talents for You. That we would start conversations, engage You in conversations, invite You into our situations where You are always the topic at hand. We wish that You would be famous and we will do our best to make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.